Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Episode 166 is on the docket for you today. I told you last week, and as I do, I deliver on my promise. Bailey Curry is the guest on the show with us this week. He is the wheelman for JD Motorsports. Center for you guys to learn a little bit more about him, hear his story. But first, we got to pay homage to the number 66. Papa Siegel has mentioned in recent weeks that it's been slim pickings in terms of who we can pay homage to. So he decided to go in a bit of a different direction this week, but one that I think you may remember and recognize due to some current cinematic escapades. Take it away, Father. Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to episode 166. Last week, we discussed number 65, ranking dead last in the NASCAR record books. Wish I could say that 66 is much better. 805 races for number 66, but only one win. That came to early NASCAR campaigner Larry Frank, who won the 1962 Southern 500. But the rest of his 103-race career isn't deserving of our way-back lens. Timmy Hill has the most starts in the 66, but I'd be more likely to feature Kevin Harvick's spotter Timmy Fidoa than Timmy Hill. Jeff Green has the second most starts, but his brother David is a more deserving candidate, and we did, in fact, already discuss him. Next on the list is Lake Speed, a great name of NASCAR, but we already featured him as well. So, what to do? Today, we mix it up and look back not on a person, but a famous race from a particular year, the 24 Hours of Le Mans from 1966. The race that year was significant for a number of reasons. It was the debut start for Henri Pascarolo, who would go on to set a record for starts at Le Mans then field a team of Peugeots as an owner, and for Jackie Ix, who would go on to win the great race five times and hold that record until the great Tom Christensen eclipsed it in 2005. More importantly, it was the first win at Le Mans for an American constructor at a major European race since the 1921 French Grand Prix. Maybe you remember... After years of Ferrari dominance, Ford had invested big money in a three-year plan to get back to the top of sports car racing. 1966 represented the third year of that plan, and they came to Le Mans with big numbers. They submitted 15 entries, eight of which were accepted into the race, and lined up some big-time wheelmen with names like Dan Gurney, Bruce McLaren, Mark Donahue, Mario Andretti, and Ken Miles. Ringing any bells yet? Yes, that Ken Miles, whose Ford GT40 was prepared by Carroll Shelby. After winning the 24 Hours of Daytona 
and the Sebring 12-hour race, the Shelby Miles entry went on to dominate Le Mans, but they didn't win. Racing politics can be even worse than government. With Ford running 1-2-3 in the field covered, Henry Ford II, nicknamed the Deuce, and his racing director, Leo Beebe, sent down word for Miles to slow down so they could orchestrate a finish with the cars crossing the line together. Miles complied, and McLaren ended up finishing first by a nose. The staged finish cost Miles a chance of winning the endurance racing triple crown, and he would die two months later testing the next-gen Ford that would go on to win the 67 race. If you haven't had enough, try reading the book Go Like Hell or watching the movie they made out of it. You may have heard of it, Ford versus Ferrari. That's all for this week. Back to you, Duve. Ah, yes. Thank you, Dad. I knew as soon as you said Ken Miles and Carroll Shelby and Lamar where you were going with that. I have watched Ford versus Ferrari. I've watched it with you, Father. I'm sure a lot of people listening have watched it as well. Great movie. Fun fact about Ford versus Ferrari. For some reason, they filmed it at Auto Club Speedway with the blue walls. And I think that they wanted that to be Daytona, but it wasn't because it was literally Auto Club Speedway with the blue walls. Anyway, that was just a funny little quirky thing, but great movie. I highly recommend you guys to watch it and learn a little bit more about what Papa Siegel alluded to in this week's Wayback segment. Thank you for that history lesson, as always, Dad. Let's start off this episode, as we always do, with a good old-fashioned... And throw straight over to our chat with Bailey Curry, driver of the number four Chevrolet for JD Motorsports. He has an interesting story. He's ran for a lot of mid-pack to back-of-the-garage teams in his career in the Xfinity Series. A career that, frankly, he did not even think was a realistic possibility. And I know that's probably a cliche thing to say, but a lot of people feel that way. Bailey was living it. Somehow, some way, he persevered against the odds, and here he is now making a name for himself in the Xfinity Series. He chats a lot about his career, the stops that he's had along the way to get to where he's at right now with Johnny Davis. Here's my chat with Bailey Curry of JD Motorsports. Pleasure to welcome on to the show this week, the driver of the number four JD Motorsports Chevrolet. It is the man, the myth, the legend, Bailey Curry, who is propping up his phone right now with an empty, I guess you can call it a pen holder, right? Redneck yeah. engineering at its finest. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, it took a little bit to, to get it figured out, but we're there now. You do what you can for this wonderful picture on this wonderful podcast. <laughs> and we're matching shirts, so the people got to yeah. see it. Even better. I know. Well, what's, what's this time of year like for you, Bailey? I feel like it's a... It's a weird portion where the season's coming to a close. You're probably working on 2023 plans, but trying to just get through the gauntlet that is the NASCAR season. Where are you at mentally right now in terms of where the season's at? Um, just uh, just feel like we need to keep digging. Uh, you know, it's we got through the long stretch. Now it's like let's let's finish strong, um, and that's what we've been trying to do. Uh, we've had some good runs here in the past month, and then we've had some bad ones as well, but. I feel like we've had great cars uh, lately. Really been trying to build on what we've had over the year and, and continue to get better. And uh, just trying to finish out the year, still doing that, still getting better. 
still working on our stuff, still figuring out what we can do to uh, get even better next year. So uh, just a constant grind. Like you said, it's a, it's a grueling season, long time. Uh, and uh, it can be easy to just want to get to the off season, you know, but uh, you just got to keep, keep grinding, keep digging and uh, keep trying to get better. We hear about that all the time, about the grind that it is, whether you're in the truck, Xfinity Cup Series, a driver, fans even sometimes, media mm-hmm. members, crew chiefs, crew members. Do you feel that, and do you see that on your crew guys week in and week out, that this season is everything that it is said to be? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, you get done on Saturday, and everybody's tired. You know, you got one day off, and you're right back at the shop on Monday. So, uh it is. I mean, it's a it's a long year, especially for a smaller team. You know, same guys going to the track, go to the shop. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot of six day, seven day work weeks and some late nights. Sometimes we've been fortunate enough that we've kind of been able to stay on top of it, not having to stay late too much. You know, we can go in and get our stuff done and go home. Uh, but it's a uh, it's definitely a grind. It's tough, and you know, I think we're on. The Xfinity schedule, I know it's not like the Cup schedule, but I believe we're on like a 14, 15-week yeah. stretch this past bit here. So, uh, But I feel like once you get in the routine of it, you're, you're, it's a routine. You know, you, I know exactly what I got to do when I get to the shop on Monday, and uh, same with the rest of the team. So um, it's finding that groove and getting in that routine, I feel like, that helps and helps you get through it. So we're recording this the week after the Charlotte Roval. It's actually going to run after Vegas this upcoming weekend. But I got a bone to pick with you, Bailey, because you wrecked your former tire guy. What the heck happened on track with you and Brad Perez? Um, to be honest, I thought I was there. I mean, I was I was inside, and maybe a spotter didn't call it. It's kind of a weird spot there uh, coming back towards the spotter stand. I felt like I was there. I mean – if I, I got lucky that somebody hit me in the left front because we were both spinning. Uh, <laughs> someone hit me in the left front, straight me back out. Uh-huh. It's actually kind of a crazy sequence because when that happened, my arms were flailing around trying to get the thing back straight. Knocked my radio harness out. Couldn't hear anything for the next bunch of laps. We had a really good car like on a long run. So as that stint went on, we're starting to pass cars, and I'm looking in the mirror. I don't really know what's going on. I don't know where I'm clear at. Especially if the roval it's so tight, you don't know is he going to give it to me here, or my guys actually have to watch it. Sure. Uh, so that was a, a a weird deal, but man, I just felt like the that was a very hectic race, especially from fifteenth on back. Everybody is fighting so hard for track position because it's so hard to get. And I mean, even in that spot where me and Brad made contact, it's not like an ideal passing zone, but it felt like a decent opportunity to try to make something happen. It sucks that what happened that you know Brad spawn, but uh, I guess that's racing. Yes, it is. I got you. You know, I'm just giving you a hard time. Uh, uh, yeah. I was I was looking at your racing reference page, and I, I thought this going in, but looking at your page kind of reaffirmed it. Is this the first year so far, knocking on wood here, in your NASCAR career that you're going to run a full season for one team specifically and just have yeah. your 100% focus on one team? That's remarkable. Yeah, no, it's it's been very special. I mean, I knew in December last year, you know, I, I signed my contract and stuff, and it didn't really hit me at the time, but uh, it's just so nice being able to finish up on Saturday and know that 
I'm coming back with the same group of guys next week. We're all going to work together. We're all going to, if the week was bad, we'll make the next week better. If the week was good, we're going to try to continue that momentum. And uh, to be able to know that I got the same guys every week. Uh, and it kind of helps just having something to, you know, try to build on, you know, points and, and things like that. Uh, it gives you a goal, which is really nice to have. Yeah. Because I was looking at your results and I'm thinking, all right, I've seen him in a Mike Harmon car. I've seen him in a JD car. I've seen you run in all these different series for all these different teams, but I can't remember you running a full season at any point. So the fact that you've been in the sport for this long and been around this much to have people remember you, but you haven't really been in a full-time ride with that security blanket, so to speak, that's just crazy. Has it felt that long to you that you've been around for so many years and driven for so many different cars and teams? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's, a, it's a different feeling for sure. I mean, there was times when I wouldn't know I was driving the weekend until Thursday. Like, I'd they'd be like, you know, we're trying to find someone with a sponsor, and we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. It's Wednesday. I still don't know if I'm racing. I'm working on the race car. I don't know if I'm racing or not. Uh, and it's like, oh, well, I guess go ahead and get the seat how you like it because you're running this weekend. So uh, it's definitely nice. I mean – even I've, I've worked in the race shops pretty much my whole career and being able to know I I'm putting this seat in, I'm putting how I want it. I know exactly how I want stuff mm -hmm. uh, is nice. I mean, cause I've always kind of been an interior guy, I guess. And uh, I mean, that's where I focus on now for sure at the shop, but um, being able to know that I can put the stuff how I want it. And it uh, doesn't really matter what anybody else says about it. I just do it how I want to do it and uh, go to the racetrack. Do you feel like an old man because you recently celebrated your 100th start in the Xfinity Series, you old man, Bailey Curry? Nah, it's that's it's crazy to even <laughs> think that, man. When, when I first started doing the NASCAR stuff, I was – like when I got a call to come try to do the NASCAR stuff, I was done racing pretty much. Like I was racing a little bit locally around Texas uh, – going to college down there racing six seven times a year uh i would have never thought that i would ever get to this point in a driving career at all uh i just met someone that had some connections like long time ago racing legends cars and stuff and they've always kind of kept an eye on me and luckily i got that call i remember being at Texas State in the summer of 2017, getting that call and being like, well, I guess I should go try it. Like, we'll see what happens. I don't know what's going to come of it, but uh, we'll see what happens. And, yeah, the, to get 100 starts in the Xfinity Series is kind of mind-boggling. All right. Well, I want to touch back on that, what you mentioned about basically being done with racing and then coming back and now you're here. But before we get there, we got to go all the way back. So, like you mentioned, you're from Texas. You're a proud Texan. Yeah. That's where your roots are, and that's where you started racing. And I've had a couple other guests on the show that are from the great state of Texas, and I'm always interested to see what their background was and what their upbringing was like in terms of the racing world because for as big of a state as Texas is and for as rich of racing history as Texas has, there's not a ton of asphalt short tracks around the state. So when you were racing and kind of cutting your teeth, trying to make a name for yourself and build up your skill set, what was the racing scene like in the Lone Star State for you? Um, I mean, so I started out racing go-karts in New Braunfels, Texas. Uh, my dad raced when I was a kid, kind of locally. 
and then I had a friend in my second grade class and his dad raced. And uh, we both got go-karts at the same time, started going out there and racing. Um, and really, when I came, started coming up, like I, and the Legends cars, Bandolero, stuff like that, I raced Texas quite a bit in a Bandolero, but when I got to Legends cars, I really didn't even race there that much. Um, I'd come back for a handful of weekends a year, but I was really just traveling, just trying to put myself out there as much as I could and Back in that time, I mean, Legends cars, you don't have to buy tires every week. I mean, traveling wasn't near as expensive back then, and uh, we were able to do that. When I got to full-size cars, I started out in a, in a modified around Texas and got to buy tires every week. So then you can't travel as much. I kind of just – we kind of sat down, my dad and I, like we're just going to race hometown stuff, uh, try to build up some sponsors around here. Uh, I mean, if nothing else, just hometown hero it and uh, race around here. So, I mean, I raced. It's a track. It used to be a track in Kyle called Central Texas Speedway. Uh, raced there a lot. Houston Motorsports Park. It's gone through some ownership changes, but it's rolling again now, which is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, that was it. San Antonio Speedway. Uh, it kind of was gone for a long time. It reopened for two, three years. Raced there whenever they had races. Uh, but that was really it. Uh, once I started getting into the late model stuff, I started traveling a little bit more again. Like I said, building the sponsorship up around Texas kind of helped us do that. Uh, got a lot of help from Chasco Constructors, who still helps me out a little bit today. Uh, very thankful for them. Uh, started running around doing, you know, Pensacola, Mobile, South Alabama Speedway, Montgomery, and then still come back and race in Texas. Uh, and then, you know, by the end of it, it was just so hard with me being in college. Uh, I wasn't there to work on the race cars as much anymore. So it was a lot harder to go out of town and do that kind of stuff. So really just came back and was doing Central Texas and Houston Motorsports Park. Uh, maybe a race to Pensacola every once in a while there. That last year I was racing late models and stuff like that, 2017. But, yeah, I mean, the, it, it kind of stinks that there isn't much asphalt racing in Texas. And I just feel like it just hasn't ever, it's just so much more expensive. I feel like mm-hmm. there's so many dirt tracks and you can run the same set of tires for however many weeks. And, uh, they can do that. Whereas asphalt, you got to buy tires every week. The, the purse has to reflect what you have to spend to race or it just doesn't really make sense. So, uh, it's been really hard. It, it like it stinks not seeing there being a huge thriving, asphalt scene in texas because there used to be i remember back when the romco super late model series was going on and there'd be 30 super lates every week so uh but i mean that was golden era short track racing you had the asa series you had everything so uh hopefully that can make a comeback i i love the texas racing scene i love the racetracks around texas um and hopefully that can come back so you mentioned you went to college you went to texas state university and Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like a lot of people, when they're around that age, that are in your position, they have a choice to make. Am I going to pursue this racing thing? Am I going to go full bore? Am I going to move down to Charlotte, try to knock on doors, sleep on couches, find a ride, and make it? Or am I going to go to college and get a degree? Now, you can do both. You're living proof of that. But what was the thought process instead of 
going the typical NASCAR route or racer route and moving down to Charlotte and trying to make it there, getting your college degree? What was the thought process at that time? Uh, when I was going to Texas State, I had no intentions of ever racing NASCAR. I just didn't think it was attainable. Uh, I didn't have, like I said, I had help from sponsors around Texas, but I didn't have NASCAR sponsors. I couldn't, I couldn't try to go run anything like that, or I didn't think it was possible. I didn't really know the ends of the outside. Like I said, I was just a local racer from Texas. I didn't really know. I had no idea how to get into that, and I was just going to go to school, uh, get an engineering degree, and maybe go work in NASCAR. And then I was thinking maybe I'll do that, get an engineering degree, make enough money. I can go run some super late races on weekends I have off and and do that. And I was very fortunate to uh, get the opportunity to go try it and start learning about how you can get in these rides and who you got to talk to and like you said, I mean, pretty much just knocking on doors and asking. I mean, that's the only way to get your name out there. I remember uh, the first time I ever talked to Johnny Davis was 2018. I was driving for somebody else at the time. Very small team. They were um, not the best stuff. And I just remember I walked in Johnny's trailer. I was like, hey, like, what do I got to do? What do we, we got to do to put this together? And that was back in 2018. And we've always kind of kept in touch. We had the same birthday. Uh Always say hello, always tell happy birthday. And uh, it, was, it was cool to finally put something together with him this year. So I want to go back to 2017 then. You made your truck debut with uh, DJ Cop, and you scored a top 10 in your truck debut, which had to be wild considering probably not even a year or two removed from thinking that you're not going to make it in NASCAR. It's yeah. something that's not attainable way over your head. Here you are in NASCAR, albeit – in underfunded equipment, but you build it to a top 10 finish. How did that deal come together? Cause I heard that there's an interesting backstory there and take me back to that day and what you remember about it, earning a top 10 in your debut. So that actually wasn't my debut. That was my oh. second race. Oh. I ran my, my first race was with Mark Beaver at, uh, Martinsville, like the week before, a couple weeks before. I never get my research wrong. So now I feel really bad. <laughs> it's all right. It's, the Martinsville race is nothing special to look at. So, uh, <laughs> well, I did, went and did Martinsville. Actually got some help. Uh, my sponsor for that was Corey Roper, the Roper family and their their company. And that kind of, you know, got them around the NASCAR and stuff and got them into the series as well. But uh, we did that. Uh, and we just met DJ there. Kind of talked to him a little bit. Worked some stuff out. Uh I can remember actually going to Texas the next week and going and sitting in the truck at the racetrack. So it was up in the hauler and make sure everything fit right. But yeah, then that weekend, it was pretty crazy. Uh, I felt like I just kind of stayed out of trouble. The, that was the biggest racetrack I'd ever raced on at that point. Uh, huh. Really weird feeling, you know, going that fast and yeah, going through that dog leg the first time and feeling it suck you down in the seat like that. Uh, very interesting place. And, I can I can just remember you know, just just trying to stay out of trouble in that race. I mean, I can remember that was the weekend that I don't remember who all it was, but there were six or seven wide the dog leg. And it all came together. It was turn three then, turn one now. Right. Uh, and just hard left to the apron, getting away from it all. But yeah, I mean that was definitely cool. I mean, we felt like we put ourselves in good position there, get the lucky dog when we needed it. Uh, and then get that top 10, which was really neat. Learn. I remember learning a lot that race about like 
trying to keep some tires on it, don't kill them early in the run and stuff like that. And, uh, but yeah, that was really cool and gives you some confidence when, you know, you're your second race and you're just trying to figure it all out. You're right. It was Martinsville where your debut was. And that was mm-hmm. with, uh, with Beaver hand up my bad. Um, yeah, you're good. all right. So, so when you, when you score that top 10 finish though, in your second race, not your debut, where's your, where's your confidence level at? Cause still you're, you're not that far removed from thinking that it was unattainable and that you were going to do it. And here you are, your second ever start and you're in the top 10. So what are you feeling at that point? Are you thinking, all right, maybe I'll give this a shot. Yeah, definitely. I mean, once I started getting into the, the driver space in NASCAR, I knew that like, going to make this work. Like I'm, I'm going to figure out how to make this work. It's, it's so cool. Like just being able to do that, being able to drive and, and make a living doing it. I mean, it's, it's what I've loved to do since I first sat in a go-kart when I was seven years old. So, uh, it's once I figured out that I think, okay, here, maybe, maybe I can do this. It's been like everything in my power to make it, make it happen. So you mentioned that you got hooked up with Johnny Davis and JD Motorsports because you knew that what they had to offer was something that you could thrive in and you have mm-hmm. for the last couple of years. And I feel like JD Motorsports, they kind of make their living and are known in the NASCAR garage as one of those mid-pack teams that punches above their weight and they do more with less. Do you feel like you fit that JD Motorsports mold and doing more with less and pu- punching above your weight? I think so. I mean, it's it's a really great group because a lot of smart people over there. Um, and we just do everything we can with, with the resources we have and uh, try to maximize every little, like every little thing that we can do as a team, small team. I'm they're not that many. No, we don't have that many resources, but the resources we do have and the stuff we do have, we make sure we get everything we can out of it. And, try to always get better and it's like well we could try this and maybe this will be a little bit better but it's a little bit extra work but we're doing it then and uh, we're, we're gonna do it and we're gonna we're gonna try to do everything we can like you said to, to punch above our weight and try to go out there and race with the with the bigger teams uh, more funded teams and stuff like that so i think it, it's shown a couple of times this year that you know we can go out there and we can do it i think bristol was a great example of that i mean uh, my crew chief Wayne made a great pit strategy call, and I mean, we ran up there in third for however many laps until the tires finally kind of gave out on us. But um, it was—I was very happy about that. I was happy to show what we have done as a team and what we can do. So I know I won't get this one wrong because I remember clear as day. It was 2021. You're racing for Mike Harmon, and I remember I was watching the whole race at Phoenix when he got that top 10 finish. And even in the first couple stages, I'm like, Bailey's running pretty well. Like, he, he's not necessarily getting the track position and the television coverage at that point. But lo and behold, checkered flag flies, you're in the top 10 solidly. And I know that there was some stuff that happened late in that race as well that kind of helped you get up through the field too. But I remember that race clear as day because you're not used to seeing Mike Harmon racing cars run that fast, that well for that long during mm-hmm. races. And you did that. So back to that day, I'm curious what Mike's reaction was when you brought the car home in one piece inside the top 10 and what your reaction was as well, because I would say we both probably agree. JD is a step above Mike Harmon in terms of equipment, and you really punched above your weight that day. Yeah, I mean, I just, 
I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I used to before. So the fall race previous to that one was the first time I felt like I like kind of got a good grip on Phoenix. Like I kind of understood it, how the PJ one worked, where I could work the PJ one um, and how to kind of make speed, make my car do the things I wanted it to do. And then when we went back in the spring, I felt like we had a really good car. And like you said, early on, we kind of track position kind of sucked. Like we weren't, I wasn't too happy with it at first, but kind of slowly, like we were like, okay, now we're in the top 20. Now we're top 15. And even before that last caution and kind of that chaos, we were running 12th, I think. And I, we were running down 11th, 10th and 9th. And I was like, this thing's pretty good. Like, I don't know what we got going on, but this thing's pretty good. Yeah. And, uh, then that last caution happened and the top was preferred. And I, this was like kind of early on choose rule. And I'm like, the top's faster, but I'm going to go to the bottom here because everybody's going to try to make all they can down here and they're all going to go on the wall and I'm going to drive right by them. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened. I remember just turning hard left into turn one there, running about three car widths down on the apron and felt like we kind of just putted around there and made it through. And, and there was still a couple laps left and just trying to hang on where we were and try to use the air where I could. Um, but, yeah, it was cool. I mean, obviously Mike was pumped. Everybody was pretty pumped up on the team. For small teams like that, I mean, getting a top ten is huge. I mean, it's it's stuff that just doesn't happen that often. And to be one of the people that did it, I know uh, Kyle got a top ten the year prior mm-hmm. at Kentucky, I believe. And uh, to be another one of the people that has gotten a top ten for Mike was really special. It's like full circle. Your first race at Phoenix, everybody's cutting the dog leg. You're like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. This is the biggest track I've ever been on. I didn't know you are allowed to go down there. And look, a couple years later, you're doing the same thing. How about yeah, it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. That was pretty cool. Learning curve. So I asked Kyle this a couple weeks ago when he was on the show, but when you had your time at Mike Harmon Racing, did you guys eat at Applebee's a lot? No, just the one in Indy, the the famous one in Indy. Yeah, I me, mean, okay. Mike, and Kyle have all signed the wall at the one in Indy. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, not really. Uh, I like. I mean, back when me and Kyle were there, we were working there every day, and yeah, I forget the Mexican restaurant we used to go to all the time, but that was that was our <laughs> normal spot. <laughs> not Applebee's. So don't believe everything you read on the internet. I guess. No, I mean, there's really not that many. There's not an Applebee's out there in Denver by the shop so you would think they'd build one in the wing of the shop for mike you'd think you'd think gotta get on that i'll get mike on the show next week to pitch in that idea all right so we've talked about your time before you made it to nascar in the truck series in the xfinity series you also have had extensive time in the cup series you got 12 starts under your belt for rick ware racing Mm -hmm. i'm always curious to ask guys like you that have have been in the cup series but kind of make a living in the xfinity or the truck series how big of a jump it really is when you go up to the top level of motorsports in this country. Did you feel that? Like, did you understand the weight and the gravity and just the aura that surrounds the cup series when you had your 12 starts in that series compared nah, to Xfinity and trucks? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I mean, in the first one, I, I knew I mean, you could feel the, the energy around it. Driver intros and all that stuff. It's just so much bigger. The, the stands, where the Xfinity series, they might not be packed. They're packed. The national anthems bigger and more extravagant. And like, I remember the first time I was in a cup series and I had, there was a flyover and I'm like, that's 
pretty cool. Like to be a part of this is really, really cool. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy. I, I worked for Rick a lot of the time I drove his cars and uh, just seeing all the work that goes in there to still, I mean, I mean, they've built so much. Whenever I very first got into the NASCAR stuff, I was working kind of road crewing for Rick Ware back in 2017 and then kind of started working for him in 2018 and seeing how much they've grown and what they've come from and to still see all the potential there is still to be had. I mean, it's crazy the amount of work and resources you have to have to be like a competitive cup team. It's, it's incredible. It's mind boggling. It's, it's crazy. The amount of work. I mean, even watching that show on USA, I forget what mm -hmm. it's race for the championship. It's, uh, it's crazy seeing some of the shops and the, the departments and the, yeah, just the crazy stuff that goes on that you have to have to be a competitive cup team and to be a part of that series and, you know, I, I can remember racing next with Jimmy Johnson. It's like that's pretty cool. Like, I mean, he's he's right next to me. I'm in the same on the same racetrack. We're, but uh, it's it's really neat, and I'm very thankful for that time I got to spend in the Cup Series when I did. Um, and maybe we'll make it back there one day. But uh, it's been it was very cool. And but I do love the Xfinity Series. Like, it's the cars are so fun. I love driving an Xfinity car. It's the most fun car to drive out of the top three, in my opinion. I haven't driven the new one yet, yep. but uh, the Xfinity car to me is just perfect. Don't never change it. I'm with you, man. I mean, you see a lot of people on Twitter that are lobbying to make the Xfinity cars, the cup cars. And yeah. I mean, I'd be lying if I said that I didn't disagree with them. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, it's such a great, great race car puts on a great show. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I got a few more for you here, Bailey. So, when it's when it comes to the cup series like you said right you can feel the difference it is mm -hmm. tangible and you really did feel it when you were living it when you're on the racetrack next to jimmy johnson or dale jr or kevin harvick or whoever i mean these are guys that presumably you watched growing up and you know helped you further your passion for the sport was there ever a moment where you were like behind the wheel and you kind of zoned out you're like oh my god that's jimmy johnson and then you snap back into it or once the visor goes down are you all business no, I mean, you really don't, you don't think about it until after. So, I mean, when you're in there, I mean, you're just focused on trying to do what you can do and, and be the best you can be. I mean, it's something people ask me all the time. Like, what are your goals in the race car? Like if you're racing for a lower team and the goal, the goal is always the same and that's to finish as far up as I can. And, uh, no matter what team I'm driving for, no matter what, you know, tier the team might be in, that's the goal. And you're pretty much just focused on that the entire time you're driving. Got it. Okay. Uh, wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask a, a hard question or two. Off track wise, uh, you tested positive for a banned substance. I think it was like pre-workout. Mm -hmm. So uh, obvious question, how was the lift? Uh, I mean, it was pretty, I mean, it was a good pre-workout. Like you could work <laughs> out for forever. I felt like I had no idea that it was anything bad. Like I just went and bought it from the store and I was really yeah. big into working out at the time and I was like, is this stuff good? And the guy's like, yeah, it's pretty good. I took it. And I guess the didn't guy didn't read think... the NASCAR rule book, huh? Yeah, didn't. I mean, I didn't even think twice about it. I didn't look at the ingredients of it. I was like, if I buy it at the store, I'm sure it's okay. Like, they can't yeah. be anything illegal in here. Uh, but I guess there was something in there that didn't align with what NASCAR thought I should be putting in my body. Uh, and I definitely pay a lot more attention to it now. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Uh, and it's probably good. 
for me, you know, just being healthy and stuff like that to, to pay more attention to stuff like that. It definitely sucked at the time. I mean, having to sit out four weeks, I bet. Uh, but you know, got to go watch some short track racing and things like that. And did the, you know, road recovery program. Luckily was able to get reinstated pretty quickly and uh, just get right back on track. Yeah. The road to recovery program from the timeline that I saw, it essentially was a month from when you tested mm -hmm. positive, got suspended as they have to do to when mm -hmm. you're reinstated. Because like you said, it was, I mean, totally innocuous, right? Like you had no, it was no malicious intent there. So from the right. outside looking in, if, if somebody has a situation like yours where, look, this is not meant to happen, but you need to go through the proper protocols and procedures, mm -hmm. the road to recovery program did do its job and it, it was an easy process for you to get back into the race car, it seemed like. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I said, I, I, I learned some things from it and, uh, I try to take the positives from every situation, whether it's a bad situation, good situation, find the good in it. And, uh, it definitely helps, you know, make me pay attention to what I'm putting in my body and, uh, probably makes it a little bit healthier. So, so speaking of Johnny Davis, um, you talked to him before you race for him. You obviously have raced for him for a little bit. Now we see his cars on the racetrack. We know about the red cars. That's a whole phenomenon. And Johnny himself is kind of a legend in the Xfinity series. What's he like away from the racetrack? Do you get the chance to interact with him? I know he's your boss, so it might be a little mm -hmm. bit of a weird dynamic, but what's he like away from the racetrack? He's cool, man. Uh, whenever we go race down in Daytona, you know, he lives down there. We'll go hang out at his house, hang out with his family, do a little barbecue, cook, whatever, hang out. Uh, it's cool, man. He's just a, he's just a racer. He's an old school racer. Uh, those are kind of, what I always hung out with back in Texas is the kind of the old school racers down there. And he just, he wants to see, he wants to see his cars do good. He wants to see his cars come back in one piece. Um, and he just wants to get better. It's the same as everybody. I mean, same as everybody in the shop. He's like, what can we do to get better? Mm -hmm. Um, what can I do to make it better? And, uh, who do I need to talk to to make it better? So he's all about that. He just wants to go out there and see his cars do good. Uh, I want to get him a race win so bad. I think that'd be the, the best thing in the world. But uh, we'll keep working at it, and uh, hopefully I can be the be the one to get that Johnny Davis red in victory lane. Ryan Vargas has been your teammate for, uh, for a handful of races, a handful of years now as well. What's it like to have him as a teammate to lean on? Because at a lot of these race teams that you'd been at in the past, you were either a one-car or one-truck team that was a partial schedule, kind of just mm -hmm. cobbled together road crew and shop crew. You guys got a crew, you, your own crew chief, Wayne, and Ryan is your teammate for mm -hmm. every race this year. Again, going back to that continuity that we mentioned, it must be nice to have a teammate to kind of bounce information off of, I would assume. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's good. I mean, obviously, the, the short practice, you don't get to talk as much about it or, or get to talk about the adjustments you made as much. But it's definitely good to, you know, get some reassurance that, you know, they're feeling the same thing you're feeling. Uh to know you're the you're not off in left field i mean the cars pretty much go to the track pretty similar most of the time maybe a few subtle differences here and there setup wise but it's definitely good to be able to talk to someone like that and uh see what they're thinking see if they figured anything out on the racetrack if there's a bump that maybe i'm missing or maybe that uh, i'm hitting that he's not and it's helping him out better than me I, it's definitely just good to have someone to talk to regardless um and I try to talk to people as much as I can. I mean, I'm pretty good buddies with, you know, Stephen Parsons and Kyle Weatherman. And I talk mm -hmm. to Ryan, obviously. Uh, 
So anybody you can talk to, I think helps. It's just good to kind of share thoughts and, and uh, not know that you're just by yourself. All right. I'm ending with a test. When I say plop, plop, what do you say? Fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. You passed the test, Bailey. Well done. Um, (laughs) We see it on your hat. Alka-Seltzer back on the number four car, has been for a handful of races this season, back in the sport of NASCAR, which I think is a huge, huge deal. What's it like to represent a brand like that that has been world famous and famous inside the sport that had its time left and now is choosing to come back with somebody like you? Uh, It's amazing. I mean, the fact that they were in it for so long and they're coming back and that it's with us, it's with me and and Johnny Davis Motorsports is pretty crazy. And like you said, I mean, it's a, it's a massive brand. They're a worldwide well-known company. And uh, first I've ever had, you know, a partner like that that's you know a a huge national brand and uh it's been really neat it's been a lot of learning on my part you know like social media stuff things like that sure um you know doing appearances and whatnot and just trying to juggle all that while also work on the race car and go drive it on the weekend so it's been very very cool and uh it's been very fun to represent them it's a great group of people um easy to work with so and they're kind of they're becoming some race fans too, so it's really cool. I get to talk with some of the guys over there about the races from the weekend and and things like that, which has been really fun. You know, we do sometimes we'll do like a, a Zoom debrief where they they get a lot of their folks in the room, and I pretty much just recap the race and talk about it, and they'll ask me some questions and try to just be as informative as I can. And uh, yeah, it's been really cool. Very cool. All right, can't let you go without asking about. 2023 as well i'm sure that you're probably working on your plans your plans are almost set in stone at this point but can you give us a little bit of a teaser a little bit of little slice of what we may see you driving or doing next season in nascar yeah i mean i'll be back in the four car next year uh full time uh and then hopefully i can do some more truck stuff and things like that we're we're working on some stuff like that where i can be a little bit more part-time do some more stuff there. It's been really cool to get my starts with Nice this year. Uh, it's super helpful, even when it comes to the Xfinity car. They drive so much different, but just being able to to know the racetrack and, and what it feels like, like Kansas, it was it was crazy how big a difference it made. For me, running the truck practice right before and knowing what the top of the track feels like, because it's always kind of a, a weird feeling, like, do I go to the top right away? Is it there? Uh, but, I mean... I did it in the trucks. I was like, well, I guess we're going straight to it in the Xfinity car there's no point in running the bottom. We're going to be up there all day. So um, it's very helpful. It's been very cool. Um, and hopefully we can do some more next year. Well, it's great to hear that you'll be back with JD Motorsports next year. Again, continuing that continuity that we talked about mm-hmm. earlier in the show. So that'll be great to see. Best of luck for the rest of this year, Bailey. We'll be watching and hope to see you do some great things for the rest of 22 and 2023. Thank you. I appreciate it. I can't believe this uh, cup mechanism stayed up for as long as I know. I know. Look at it go. (laughs) I'm really proud of it. Tell it that I'm very proud of it, and I might have to come over and play some foosball if that's a foosball table. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And we are back. Thank you to Bailey for the time. Excited to see what he has in store next year with JD Motorsports, running it back 
as they say. Again, he's been really, really solid at all of these teams, every stop along the way. This year has been no different in the number four for JD Motorsports. Looking forward to seeing what he can do next year. So thank you to Bailey for the time and thank you to Cindy as well for helping coordinate that conversation. All right, let's chit chat a little bit about Las Vegas, everything that came along with it. Obviously, Joey Logano, he is your winner. He is on to the round of four, the championship four, as they say, for the fifth time in the last nine years of this format. And I don't know if you're into numbers at all, but if you are, Every even year, 2022, 2020, 2018, 2016, and 2014, Joey Logano has made it to the championship four, be it at Homestead or Phoenix. He obviously won that title back in 2018, so maybe something to watch moving forward. 2024, Joey Logano, championship four, you never know. But unfortunately, Joey's win at Vegas, his birth in the championship four, has been largely overshadowed by Bubba Wallace and Kyle Larson. You obviously know by now what happened. Bubba right rears Larson coming into the tri-oval. Larson wrecks driver's side impact into the outside retaining wall. Christopher Bell, who is Bubba's de facto Toyota teammate, he gets involved in that wreck. He's now kind of basically facing a must-win scenario going into the last two races of the round of eight. And NASCAR lays the hammer down, as they should have, in my opinion, on Bubba Wallace. Gives him a one race suspension for Homestead Miami this weekend. No points, no monetary fine, just a one race suspension. And this does not happen often, people. The last time that a National Series driver was suspended for something they did on track was Johnny Sauter back in 2019. He was suspended for a race in Iowa for intentionally wrecking Austin Hill. Matt Kenseth was the last Cup Series driver to be suspended for intentionally wrecking somebody. He obviously did what he did multiple laps down to Joey Logano at Martinsville. And I know what you're saying to yourself, and I understand it. Well, Carson Hosevar did it to Colby Howard this year at IRP. What about Noah Gregson? What he did to Sage Karam at Road America? There's been countless instances this year and last and the year before in different series of drivers intentionally wrecking somebody. This was different for a multitude of reasons in my opinion. And I'm not going to give you any groundbreaking stuff here. I'm sure you guys have been listening to SiriusXM this week and all of our hosts and drivers that have come on and crew chiefs. Anybody that's been on the channel has really been asked about it and they've said similar things. Something needed to be done because this act was so egregious. It was so over the line. It was unsportsmanlike. It was unprofessional. It was just flat out dangerous. And that can't be tolerated. And to Steve O'Donnell's point, when he came on with Dave Moody this week, Look, just because what they have ruled in the past does not necessarily line up perfectly with what this ruling is doesn't mean that they couldn't just not do anything about it. They had to say something. They had to draw a proverbial line in the sand. And I hope, and I think that this will be the case moving forward, that this will be the line moving forward. If you do cross it, you're going to get suspended. If not one race, multiple races. Kenseth got two because what he did was just so blatant and... I just think that they needed to do something. I think that a suspension was definitely justified. It was by no means necessary, but I think that nobody's really complaining that he got suspended one race. Some people think it should be more. Some people might think that he shouldn't have gotten suspended a race at all based on past precedent. Here's the thing. You can't necessarily take into past precedent when you judge intent, when you judge result, 
when you see everything that transpired when it comes to Bubba being squeezed up into the wall. That's a racing move. Was it intentional by Larson? I'm sure it was. But then to right rear somebody at speed in a next-gen car, which especially the topic of conversation in the last few weeks has been about how unsafe this car is when you hit in the rear into the wall. I know it's been talked about as well, but if Bell wasn't there, our defending champion Kyle Larson is heading straight for the wall. His rear is going to make real big impact in there, and who knows what that could have meant, what could have happened. I don't think that Joey Logano was trying to be hyperbolic on behind the wheel when he said that that could have cost Kyle Larson his career, that could have cost Kyle Larson his life, but racing's dangerous. We've seen that in recent years, especially with Newman last year, Kurt retiring, Bowman being out for a handful of races. Sure, NASCAR in recent years has been incredibly safe, and they have always tried to be on the forefront of innovation when it comes to that. But that doesn't mean that they have gone backwards this year because they've admitted as much. And that doesn't mean that this sport is dangerous. What Bubba Wallace did was dangerous. It was unprofessional. It was out of line, and it needed to be reprimanded. I'm glad NASCAR did that. I hope Bubba will learn his lesson for that. He'll come back stronger for Martinsville and Phoenix. And as Kevin Harvick also said this week, I hope that this marks the end of people intentionally wrecking people in the right rear, sending them head on into the wall because there is no place for that in NASCAR. I don't think there ever has been. And moving forward with this ruling, I hope that there won't be. That'll wrap things up for episode 166 of Victory Lane 2.0. I appreciate y'all hanging out with me this week and every single week. I give my spiel, but I really mean it. If you like what you heard here today, please, please, please do me a favor. It does help me spread the word. Leave a rating and a review to subscribe to the podcast. You can do so on Apple, Google, SoundCloud, wherever you get any of your podcasts, even that little green app, we are available there for your consumption. I got another great guest in the can for next week. Just finished recording with Myatt Snyder son of NBC's Marty Snyder, driver of the 31 for Jordan Anderson Racing. Longtime homie. Excited for you guys to hear that chat with Maya. We got into the nitty-gritty of some personal things, which was very fun. Got him out of his comfort zone a little bit, which I'm sure I enjoyed. I don't know if Maya did, but it was good for you, Maya. Lighten up. Uh, thank you again to Bailey Curry. Thank you again to Cindy for helping coordinate the chat. Thank you to you for tuning in this week. I will chat with y'all next week as we recap the racing at Homestead and preview the paperclip martinsville speedway talk to you next week party people be good